This is Queen Victoria, and welcome to Murder Love, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer, I talk about several and something they have in common. This is a special episode, and I'm going to go over the different kinds of serial killer books there are. You would not think that maybe there are that many different kinds to merit a full episode, but you would be incorrect, as I have discovered in my adventure to make this podcast. I have over 200 books that I've amassed over the past year or so, all related to serial killers. Now, a lot of those are physical, so I literally have them on my bookshelf, but about 30 of those I have on my Kindle because I discovered that sometimes it's cheaper to have it on your Kindle and sometimes it's not. So I don't mind having books on my Kindle, although I have to admit I do like physically holding a book and taking notes and things like that. The first grouping of books is what I consider neutral. I would dare say a lot of books are considered, would fall under the neutral category. So what neutral means is they don't fall heavily where they bash the serial killer and it's more that they try to to have an unbiased look at this is what the serial killer did, this is what they why they said they did it, if we got the opportunity to find out, and these are the victims. Sometimes they do weigh heavily on showing examples of the victims and what the victims' families went through and things like that. But it's all without a lot of opinion or heavy, biased words. And it's more like, this is what happened. Here's the whole picture from all the angles. So examples of this include Cellar of Horror by Ken Inglade, and that is about Gary Heidnick. I cover Gary Heidnick in episode three, so make sure you listen to that one if you have not. Another example is The Door-to-Door Killer by Thomas Downs. It's about Joseph Callinger, and that is one of my references in episode 14. Nothing is Strange with You by James Jeffrey Paul. It's about Gordon Stewart Northcott and the Wineville Chicken Coop murders, which I cover in episode 16. And Consequences, The Criminal Case of David Parker Ray by J.E. Sparks covered in episode six. So those are all examples where it's all pretty uh, middle of the road. This is what happened. There's not lots of opinions and things like that. So it's very neutral. So that's nice when you're looking for an unbiased perspective and you just want to know what happened. On the other end, there are also sensational books. There's not as many as you would think. So that's one thing that I was a little leery about when I first started looking into purchasing books or getting information about serial killers. I thought there would be more books that were sensationalized, and I haven't really. There are some, which we'll get into, but for the most part, it hasn't been as bad as I would expect. There's some that seem like they'll be just sensationalistic and maybe unreliable, like The Killer Book of Serial Killers or Chambers of Horror, but those actually wind up having pretty solid information and you can tell like some of the covers look like they'll probably be a bit much, but they they might surprise you. So I try not to literally judge the book by its cover and just assume, well, that looks like that's going to be trash. I'll give it a chance. And um, what's good now is that I know more so I can look at an example and see, OK, well, I know that's true. That's true. That's not true. And, you know, I can kind of judge it a little bit better since I have more experience. One book that stands out above everything else is one that I just discovered. I already had it. I hadn't read it yet. So it had a section on Kenneth Bianchi, which I covered the Hillside Stranglers in a recent episode. It is episode episode 18. So I talk about this book 
in that episode, but I'm going to go, I didn't really go read directly from the book. I just gave an example of the kind of thing that he said, but I'm going to read an excerpt from the book so you can hear how (laughs) over the top it is. The book is called Emissaries of Satan, and it's by Christopher Barry D. And I know right off the bat, as soon as you hear Emissaries of Satan, it shouldn't really be a surprise that it might be a little sensationalist. Here we go. Deep within the bowels of one of America's toughest penitentiaries breathes one of the most heinous sadosexual serial killers in the black annals of criminal history. Caged for 20 hours a day in a small cell number eight that is part of the three-floor secure housing unit where only the most dangerous and unpredictable killers are confined. But most alarmingly, while behind bars, Bianchi became an ordained priest The devil's son had wheedled his way into the Lord's house, soon to claim that he was sitting on the right hand of God. Now, at once preaching from the good book, this insidious creature's evil tentacles of thought started feeling their way around the cell blocks and exercise yards of the prison itself, affecting everyone, including the guards, to then slither over the high walls to infect society itself. Of the several women he mentally inseminated, one went on to attempt to commit murder by proxy, another married this beast behind bars, while others of similar misguided moral compass queued up to bear his children. And that's just the gals. This Antichrist figure even conned the Christian church, leaving one perfectly respectable pastor and his wife to suggest to the parole board that if Ken were to be released, we would welcome him into our home and share our life with our two daughters. I mean, one cannot make this up if one tried. But is Kenneth Bianchi really an emissary of Satan? Or just another sick and twisted sadosexual psychotic sexual murderer? I set out to seek the truth, and the truth will out. I am about to get up close and very personal with this monster who recently vowed to tear my face off if I ever came into a space. Powerful, predatory, with dark hair, a heavily pockmarked face, and ink-black eyes that never blink. The cold, wet eyes of a great white shark, soon to stare deep into my head with his evil tentacles and inquiring thought. There is only a rickety table between us. I lean back in my chair. I smile. You don't like me one bit. Do you, Ken? I ask. There's no response. The skin on Bianchi's face is now stretched as tight as a fat skin. There is no movement from the man simmering a heartbeat away. To break the ice, I rise to my feet and slowly walk around the table to him. I placed my hand on his shoulder. Hey, Ken, I whisper. You are some miserable son of a bitch. Come on, where's that fucking smile? A switch seemed to flick inside his brain within a millisecond. The tension washed out of him in an instant, and a cruel smirk slowly came to his thin mouth. It was this human contact, the physical touch, and a dangerous up-close encounter, which could have played out either way, that now enabled me to have a 60-minute interview with the Hillside Strangler. When we parted, Ken stopped in his tracks, reeled around and snarled, Don't ever, ever come near me again. I did. Not once, but twice. End scene. So that is all from the book. And it was hard not to laugh while I was reading that because it is just ridiculous. I know that it's it is it does suck you in because it's so ridiculous. And I get that that's I mean, it's interesting enough that I'm reading it to you. So obviously there is a market for that. People want to read 
over-the-top stuff, and it is pretty funny. With it being so over-the-top, it makes me question if he's going to be partial at all or impartial at all and unbiased, or is everything that he's going to say going to be a complete exaggeration of the truth? So if I'm looking for any kind of real thing in there, it makes me leery. If I'm looking for a good fucking story, then yeah, this is my shit. So if, if you want to hear about Kenneth Bianchi's tentacles entering people's brains and uh, being a emissary of Satan, uh, then this is this is the book for you. I will say that as I was reading through the details that he was giving, they didn't seem to be too over the top. They seemed to be pretty run of the mill. So he didn't really seem to exaggerate what happened. It seems like there's more bravado in how he reacts and interacts with the serial killers. And like I said, he's he's trying to sell a book. So I can see in this one that that's the angle he went with. The interesting thing is I did glance through other books of his. I haven't completely read any of them. I've read excerpts of them. Other books don't seem to be that over the top. So that's kind of an interesting thing that he doesn't necessarily do that in all of his books, that it was that book specifically, it seems to me, that he did that. So you will run into it. And again, if that is what you're looking for, then there you go. It's Emissaries of Satan by Christopher Barry D. If you want a sensational angle on your serial killers, there you go. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it depends on what you're looking for. Also in the vein of sensational, I happened upon a book where they actually are dealing with hauntings of a serial killer's house. So it is called Horrors at Fox Hollow Farm, Unraveling the History and Hauntings of a Serial Killer's Home. So I'm going to read what the back of the book basically said to give you an idea. Hands locked around his throat, squeezing like a vice. He felt himself being dragged underneath the water as he thrashed and kicked. He tried to pry the hands from his throat, but found nothing there. It was the ghost of Fox Hollow's serial killer. Nothing could convince his former farm resident otherwise. Fox Hollow Farm, the infamous Indiana property where Herb Baumeister allegedly murdered at least 11 men, has a grim past and an unsettling present. This riveting book pieces together the story of the tragic case and explores the hauntings that continue to this day, delving into the psyche of a suspected murderer and the terrifying paranormal activity that lingers in the aftermath of such unspeakable evil. The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm provides detailed insights from the original criminal investigation, as well as the perspectives of the man who survived Herb's attempt on his life. This chilling book also features compelling evidence from EVPs and psychic confirmations to first-hand accounts of the disembodied hands and voices that regularly manifest on the estate. It is written by Richard Estep, or Estep. He co-founded the Boulder County Paranormal Research Society. He's on TV shows such as Haunted Case Files, Haunted Hospitals, and Paranormal 911. It is co-written by Robert Graves, who owns the farm. Now, I realize that saying that psychic things and that a book about haunting is sensational, and I'm not necessarily saying that as it's wrong or untruthful or anything negative, really. I think by the very nature, psychic things and paranormal things tend to be sensationalistic because that's the nature, is if you have a haunting and you see things floating around or someone feels someone being, you know, someone touching them or hears voices. That is by its very nature, 
a sensational thing that happens. So I'm not saying that it's a negative thing. I'm not I'm not going to just knee jerk reaction say it's bullshit. I tend to be a little leery of that kind of thing, but I'm not ruling it out that it's not possible. So I, you know, again, if you are into haunting stuff, then this is the book for you. So I, I, I actually have not read it yet. It is on my list. I will be covering Herb Baumeister soon. And he's interesting, just a side note, is they can't prove that he killed many people. They found a bunch of bones on his property, but they couldn't really piece anything else together. There was a guy who said that he, that Herb had tried to strangle him and he survived, but then Herb killed himself. So we got like no answers. So it's a very interesting case. And I could see why there might be hauntings in that house, if that is a thing, because he probably killed people there. So far, that is the only book that I have come across that is is about hauntings as much as the serial killer. So I think that that's pretty interesting. And like I said, I'm willing to give things a chance and see what they have to say and not roll things just straight out of hand. The next category for serial killer books is I have come upon several that I decided to call pick a side. So they picked a side and went with it. For an example, when I covered the Hillside Stranglers in episode 18, if you listen to that, then you'll know what I'm going to say. If you didn't, then I'm going to say it, and then you go back and listen, and you can hear the details. So I had two main references, two of a kind, The Hillside Stranglers by Darcy O'Brien and Hillside Strangler, A Murderer's Mind by Ted Swores. So what's interesting is the first thing you probably noticed is the first book says Hillside Stranglers... And it's two of a kind, so that's plural. The second book is Hillside Strangler, singular. So in two of a kind, the author is just heavy into Ken Bianchi and Angelo Buono. Did it together. Here's what they probably said when they were doing it. Like to the point where it felt like you were there and they were acting the scenario in front of you. Ken said this. Angelo said this. They did this horrible thing. So it's all very much like this is how it happened. And it feels like, like I said, like it's a story. Like you're there like all those assholes. I can't believe they did that. And that's terrible. But you have to remind yourself, these aren't direct quotes. Because Angelo never said shit. Angelo never admitted anything. So everything that we're hearing is through Kenneth Bianchi's mouth. And he retracted his statement several times and he was all over the fucking place. Because Angelo never came right out and said, I did this, and there was just pretty thin evidence, I guess you'd say, against Angelo. Some people hold the opinion, maybe Angelo wasn't the other one. Maybe it was Mo- it was Ken, and it could be someone else, and it could be that Angelo maybe helped a little bit, but they tend to think that Ken was the mastermind, Ken was the one who was the main one. So in the book Hillside Strangler, it goes about like, it reads like, Ken did this, and he did this, and then they read about the murders in the paper, and then they did this and went about their lives, and they were surprised when they heard about this, you know, hillside strangler. So it builds up like he's not involved, and then it comes out that he might have a multiple personality, and they really weigh heavily that he probably did. So that it, that's, again, that's a pick-a-side, is so very obviously one book felt like, oh yeah, he's an asshole and he did it, and Angelo did it, and they're all dickheads, and, you know, these are the terrible things that they did. While in the other book... They're like, no, Ken was uh, as much of a victim as the others because he was he had a multiple personality and he couldn't really help what he was doing. And Angelo was probably involved, but whatever, I don't know. So they picked a side and they went with it. Another example, especially when it comes to psychology, Shoemaker, Anatomy of a Psychotic by Flora Retta Schreiber is about Joseph Callinger. And again, I cover Joseph Callinger... I believe in episode 14. And if you listen to that, then you'll know what I'm going to say. But to reiterate, you should really listen to the episode if you have not, because it gets pretty interesting. 
In that book, Flora Schreiber interviews Callenger, and he has all kinds of fucking things to say about a disembodied head talking to him, and he is diagnosed as having a schizoid personality, but there is some doubt as to whether he is as bad as he said he was. In her book, she is very, very obviously totally on board with him, and she has very loaded language, feeling sorry for him and being completely on his side. So she is not unbiased. She is not impartial. 100% on board with him and everything that he says. It's not just a case of, okay, he said this to me and I'm just reporting what he said and I'm not going to say what I think about it. It is she, you can tell that she's totally on board with him. While the other reference door-to-door killer that I mentioned earlier was a neutral one where it just said, okay, this is what, this is what that he did. And then he didn't even completely go into all of the stuff that Flora divulged because he only told Flora a lot of his stuff. So door-to-door killer, he just says, well, in trial, he did mention that he thought he was a butterfly or, you know, kind of offhanded, like, yeah, he did mention that, but here are the details. So again, shoemaker skewed way to one side. The last example I have for you is a reference to the Wineville Chicken Coop murders and Gordon Stewart Northcott. The book is Road Out of Hell, Sanford Clark, and the True Story of the Wineville Murders by Anthony Flacco with Jerry Clark. Now, Jerry Clark is Sanford Clark's adopted son. So right off the bat, you can see how the son of a victim might skew things a certain way towards the victim, which that's understandable. And it was incredibly interesting because I read that one. I read that book first and it was heart wrenching because everything is from Sanford Clark's perspective. So Sanford Clark was the nephew of Gordon Stewart Northcott. And he he basically took Sanford, who was 14 at the time, basically took him hostage on his chicken farm and would rape him. And then he'd bring young boys back to the farm and rape them and then make Sanford participate in killing them. And so it's very heart wrenching. But again, but then I read Nothing is Strange with You. And that's one that I had mentioned earlier is a neutral book because the person who wrote it had nothing to do with any of it. And he reported things just as he saw them in court transcripts and things like that in interviews. And some of the details that he gave were completely different than what was in the Sanford Clark book. And I'm, again, I don't like to just dismiss things outright saying, okay, they don't agree. So that one's obviously wrong. It's an interesting thing to note. There's one where there's one story where Sanford doesn't like mention something that that parents were there. There was one where that he brought Gordon had brought a family back to the farm and he was going to kill the parents and keep the children. Well, in Sanford's son's version, they don't even mention the parents like the parents weren't there or something like that. It was somewhere where there's a big difference. And, you know, and that's when you have to think, well, why wouldn't they have brought that up? How was that? Why was that not one book, but in the other book? So, it, you know, it kind of calls things into question a little bit. And But you can see why. Someone who knows the victim would have maybe skewed things a little more towards the victim side. And again, I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong or bad, but it just depends on what you're going for. If you're going for, because that book was more about going for empathizing with the victim. And it wasn't, it very specifically said like, I chose to focus on Sanford and not as much on Gordon. So outright, they're very open. Like I'm choosing to tell Sanford's side of the story. So at least you know going into it, okay, so it may be more focused on this way, which is why it's good when there's several books out because then you can see, okay, they focus it more on the serial killer side so that way we can see their side of it. Or it's in the middle so we can see both sides. So again, I don't think it's necessarily right or wrong to have a pick-a-side book. I think it's just important, again, always focus on 
what are you looking to get out of the book? If you're looking to just have a good read, then it doesn't really matter. If you are looking for as many facts as you can have, it's good to go into it thinking, okay, just keep in mind the whole time you're reading this, this is skewed towards that perspective. And so keep that in mind the whole time you're reading it. The next grouping are historical serial killer books. One of the first books I read was The Devil's Rooming House by M. William Phelps. It is about Amy Archer Gilligan, and I talk about that in one of the very, very, very earliest episodes. Actually, it is literally the first episode. So I mention her and the book. It's interesting because the time period that it occurs, there was this massive heat wave. So people were actually killing themselves. It was so hot, and people were dying from the heat. And it's interesting to see what is going on around in the society and the culture and, and everything while this serial killer is active. It's also interesting because at this point, it was before nursing homes had regulations. So there weren't, there might have been some quote unquote official nursing homes, but they weren't around enough and they weren't regulated. So she opened a, um, she opened a boarding house specifically to take care of people like a nursing home or, you know, they could be younger if they needed special care, they could come and they would magically die. And they had enough information gathered from other nursing homes in the area to understand that people were dying a lot more in her place than in other places. But it made it easier for her to get away with killing people. So it was a really good read. I was very excited. And it was fun to have that historical perspective. Another historical one is In the Dark by Simon Reed, R-E-A-D, Simon Red. It is about the blackout ripper, Gordon Cummins, who was in World War II London. This is a case of perfect circumstances and you, where you might not have the serial killer if it wasn't for the circumstance. Now, it's, it's possible he still would have killed people, but these circumstances just made it so much easier for him to be active. He was a military man, and if you don't, don't know anything about the blackouts in World War II London, real quick, basically, they were afraid that they would be bombed. And you don't want to give like a big old target where they can see where you are at night. So at night you have all the lights on, they know where to fucking bomb you. If you have all the lights out, it makes it harder for them to know, you know, like hot spots to get or, you know, you're not making yourself as active as a target. So they would, they had like a curfew. They had where you had to turn your lights off at this certain time. They had special flashlights that were like, their flashlights were even like really low wattage. They didn't even really want you to put your flashlight on or torch is what they called it. Also, an interesting note that I learned from the book is taxis would be driving around, but they didn't want lights to be seen. Any cars that had to drive around at night, they actually put special things over the lights so you could hardly see them. So you could just see them a little bit, just well enough to maybe know a car's coming. But there were a lot of car accidents and people getting hit because they still couldn't really see each other. So that's again another reason for a curfew is to try to limit that. So if you think about it, it's completely dark out. There's no street lamps. There's nothing, completely dark. So it was easy if you happen to see a sex worker or a girl walking around by herself at night, you could take advantage of that. And while the cops tried to be as efficient and still make their presence known as you know much as possible, it was still easier to take advantage of that and kill women. So that's what he did, is he would kill women in the, during the blackout. And again, that's perfect circumstances. So it's while they could have written the book and just talked about what he did, it made it even more interesting and it really drove everything home to know that history and with it. So again, that was In the Dark by Simon Reed. One that is really popular that I had even heard of 
like early on when I first started getting interested in serial killers, is Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. It is about H.H. Holmes and the Chicago World's Fair. This is another great example of circumstances lining up historically to make it perfect for him to be able to be a successful serial killer. So during the World's Fair, it happened to be at that time, it was the late 1800s and industry was booming, especially in Chicago. So there were tons of people running around. So there was crime was more rampant because it was hard to keep track of everyone. And then women were going out on their own for the first time and they don't know anything about the city. Like a lot of times it was like country girls coming to the city. And if they were lost track of, then it wasn't necessarily uncommon to lose touch with um, a daughter or sister or whatever that went to Chicago. So it was perfect if you were H.H. Holmes and you open a hotel during the World's Fair. So you can kill some people without anybody knowing. I will admit that there were times when I was just like, get back to H.H. Holmes, because there was like whole chapters just about how they were trying to figure out the logistics of the World Fair, which it's interesting. If you're interested in history, it is interesting. But I admit that every once in a while, I was like, I just want to hear about H.H. Holmes. In the grand scheme of things, though, it is a it is a really good read. It's really interesting. It, it talks about, like, I didn't know, like, the first Ferris wheel happened during the World's Fair, and it's interesting to hear how that came to be. And so it's uh, it's a very good read. And you do you do learn all kinds of things about H.H. Holmes in it. Devil in the White City, Eric Larson. The last example of a historical book, I have not read it yet, but it is called Death in the Air by Kate Winkler Dawson. It is about the great London smog and the serial killer John Reginald Christie. And I'll read the little um, synopsis about it to give you an idea. London was still recovering from the devastation of World War II when another disaster hit. For five long days in December 1952, a killer smog held the city firmly in its grip and refused to let go. Day became night, mass transit ground to a halt, criminals roamed the streets, and some 12,000 people died from the poisonous air. But in the chaotic aftermath, another killer was stalking the streets, using the fog as a cloak for his crimes. All across London, women were going missing. Poor women. Forgotten women. Their disappearances caused little alarm, but each of them had one thing in common. They had the misfortune of meeting a quiet, unassuming man, John Reginald Christie, who invited them back to his decrepit Notting Hill flat during that dark winter. They never left. The grand irony of it all is so smog was suffocating and killing people. That's how Christie killed, as he would strangle or suffocate them. So that is kind of an interesting little... Where, again, they didn't have to have the smog story, like um a movie that I suggested on the Murder Lab Facebook, which you should like and check out and keep an eye on. I mentioned the movie 10 Rillington Place, which is John Reginald Christie's address. And they go through the whole thing, and I don't remember them mentioning smog at all. So you can tell the story without it, and it's a compelling story. But it's interesting when you have that other aspect of it, and it brings it to a whole other level. And again, I haven't read it, but I'm looking forward to it because it sounds pretty fucking interesting. There's actually one more that I have not read, but I have on my list... It is Torso, the story of Elliot Ness and the search for a psychopathic killer. As soon as I saw this, this was one of those where I went to that, one of those big half-price books clearance sales at the Nutter Center, and it it was like, I think like a buck or something crazy. And normally when you go to those, you don't find many serial killer books, but I found this. And it's interesting because these are, it actually, the Torso killer would actually send postcards to Elliot Ness, 
And he thought that he had it figured out who it was, but it was under somebody, it was somebody related to somebody like famous or politically famous. So um, he was never really able to pursue it. And and I think like the daughter or granddaughter after Elliot Ness passed away found these postcards and wrote this book, if I'm correct. That is one where it is interesting to see a well-known historical figure that crossed paths with a serial killer when I had no idea that was even a thing. I just know him from the whole uh, Untouchables and uh, with Al Capone and all that. I had no idea that he was ever had anything to do with the um, torso killer, which is unsolved. It's uh, they uh, that killer was also known as the uh, like the butcher of Kingsbury Run or the Cleveland torso murderer. The next category is it's written by a surviving victim or someone that had personal involvement with a serial killer. I cover I Choose to Live by Sabine Darden when I t- spoke of Mark Dutroux, and that is in episode three basement murder labs he literally had a dungeon room in his basement where he kidnapped girls and kept them in there and she was one that actually lived so that's that's particularly interesting because I could not find any other books on Mark Dutroux and this just happened like in the 80s or 90s so I don't know I don't know if there wasn't enough information yet or what I wish that I had a second book because like I said I like to have two to compare but that was the only book I had It was very interesting to see things through the way they happened to her and how things played out that way. Another example is The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. She actually worked with Ted Bundy at a suicide prevention hotline. So they actually hung out some. She was friendly with him. No idea that he was a killer. And it was one of those things where there were these clues Like, the guy going around killing people told someone his name was Ted, and he drove the specific car. And, of course, Ted Bundy's first name is Ted, and he drove that specific car. So people would tease him, like people that he knew, because they didn't think there was any way it was him. So they would joke around about it. And, uh, yeah. So she obviously, because she had been a cop, and she was involved with investigations and stuff like that. So she felt pretty fucking dumb when she found out that was him. But then she realized, I mean, he fooled everybody. He didn't seem like he would be that way. So why would you think that? Um, So that's a very personal account from her and uh, very interesting. There is a book called In Love with a Serial Killer by Sandy Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S. She met... Paul John Knowles and he was going on this cross-country trek and she fell in love with him and they became lovers and he was a killer and she did not know so he had killed people before he met her he killed people after he met her so of course when she found out that he was a serial killer that was an eye-opener so she wrote a book about it I have not read it but it is on my list Chasing the Devil My 20-Year Quest to Capture the Green River Killer by Sheriff David Reichert so this is a little different where it's It's coming from a law enforcement official who actually was, you know, trying to find the Green River Killer and his experience with it. And so it's kind of interesting to see that perspective from law enforcement and, you know, the struggle because, yeah, I mean, 20 years. It took a long time to finally figure out who the Green River Killer was. There is Bind, Torture, Kill, the inside story of the serial killer next door by Roy Wenzel, Tim Potter, L. Kelly, and Hearst Laviana. Those are all people affiliated with the Wichita Eagle newspaper that worked with the cops on the BTK case. So we've seen a survivor, we've seen a friend of a serial killer, we've seen a lover of a serial killer, a sheriff, and now this is a book where you actually have media. So this is all 
it's not really surprising that you would have books from all these different perspectives, but it is exciting. So that book is specifically deals with um, the affiliation with Wichita Eagle and the cops in the case and, and how they worked out together or didn't work together and how that relationship panned out during the BTK investigation. Another book where someone from the media wrote about a serial killer is Crossing the Line, the True Story of Long Island Serial Killer Joel Rifkin by Lisa Beth Pulitzer and Joan Swirsky. They worked for the New York Times and reported on him, and then they decided that it went much deeper and they wanted to write a book about it. I've actually just started reading it because one of the movies that I recommended in October on my The Murder Lab Facebook page and Instagram is a movie called Joel, called, about Joel Rifkin. And you, I really couldn't find much out there about Joel Rifkin, so I was excited when I found this book. So again, it's interesting that this, this will come from this perspective of people who were actually reporting on him when the crimes were occurring. Another category that I'm not necessarily surprised exists, but it's still uh, pleasant to happen upon, are comic books or magazines. For my birthday or Christmas or something, Todd found this comic called The Beast of Chicago, The Murderous Career of H.H. Holmes by Rick Geary. Rick Geary apparently has this treasury of Victorian murder where he has comic has a comic book based on serial killers. So I also have the Saga of the Bloody Benders in that same series. So it is um, it is pretty cool. One of the first things I discovered is Serial Killer Magazine. I, f I happen upon them online. They're basically a magazine laid out with a lot of artistry and a, different, a lot of different artists depict different serial killers and their articles about serial killers and such. So you can buy copies of the magazine or you can buy the magazines in a PDF format. So it's something like, I can't remember, I think it's something like 300 bucks if you want to buy all the magazines or it's like 100 bucks if you want to buy a PDF of all the magazines. Now, I do think that having the physical magazine is cooler, but I also don't really want to spend $300 on it. <laughs> so... So I did end up buying the PDF version and it has been it has been helpful. Again, that's kind of that format where it starts getting a little iffy where sometimes I think that stuff tends to glorify serial killers and I I'm not really into glorifying them. I'm not into like buying strands of Ted Bundy's hair or you know that kind of thing. Like personally that feels gross to me and I'm not I'm not putting judgment if that's what you're into, but personally, I'm not into that. So I don't want, I didn't want it if it was going to be like making them seem like they're heroes of some sort. They are very good at having facts that seem to mesh with other things. I haven't really very often found something that seemed like it was outright an exaggeration or whatever. I think some of the art is really cool. And I actually found... When I was doing the David Parker Ray episode, I found some... So, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should. And it's called Hello There, Bitch. So, that's, it's, it's actually one of the, the highest listened episodes. He would kidnap a woman, and when she woke up from her drugged state in this trailer that he had turned into a torture chamber, he would play a tape for her and started, Hello There, Bitch. And then he goes on and tells her every, everything she can expect that they're going to do to her. I would find excerpts in different places, but I couldn't find the whole thing. And it was interesting because in Serial Killer magazine, I found pieces of the tape 
that weren't in other things. So I was able to piece together what seems to be the complete tape. And it takes about 20 or 30 minutes to read. So I read the whole thing, which is a lot. It was really hard. It was a very dark time researching him. And um, yeah, so it's a lot. But again, that actually wound up being a, a good reference. And I still use it now as references for the podcast. Of course, all of these books I will post on the murderlabmedia.com references page. So you don't have to be scribbling these down and trying to memorize everything I'm saying, because I know I'm throwing a lot of books at you. So I will list all the books and I'll list the Serial Killer Magazine website so you can go there. I did happen upon, right after I read that book about the Blackout Ripper, I went online to try to find if there are other books or references for Gordon Cummins. And I found this magazine called Murder Case Book. Apparently, it's from the UK. It's from like 1991. And I found it, I can't remember now. I think I found it on eBay. And this specific magazine that I have, it covers blackout killers. So there apparently were three murderers who struck amid the chaos of war. So that will be an episode at one point. But that was kind of a, I wish that I could get more copies of different versions of it, but I don't think it's still in publication. You can uh, check that out and see if you can find more episodes of Murder Casebook. So I'm sure that there are probably way more serial killer magazines out there than I realize. And if you happen upon any, let me know. So we just have a few more categories here. The next one is textbooks or informative books. I have one that is called Serial Killers in the Media by Ian Cummins, Marion Foley, and Martin King. The synopsis is, This book examines the media and cultural response to the awful crimes of Brady and Hindley, whose murders provided a template for future media reporting on serial killers. It also questions the ethics of the serial killing industry and how the modern cultural fixation on celebrity has extended to serial killers. The treatment of Brady and Hindley by the media also raises profound questions about the nature of punishment, including the links between mental illness and crime. It's nice to have books where they just go and say, okay, the serial killer did this and did this and this, and then this is what happened to them. But it's also fascinating to see other implications of that, like their involvement with the media. Like, how does the media affect how serial killers act or how people portray them? That kind of thing. I have not read that yet, but it is enticing. The next book I did read, and it is a similar idea, it is called Serial Killers, Issues Explored Through the Green River Murders by Thomas Goulian. And I quote, It's a collection of nonfiction essays that focus on issues that permeate serial killer cases and similar complex investigations. Although the essays revolve around the historic Green River murders and the turbulent relationship of the many people it touched for over two decades, the issues explored are relevant to any in-depth discussion of such topics as the art of praying, P-R-E-Y-N-G, politics in murder investigations, media coverage of crime, privacy, victimology, interrogation techniques, murder as popular culture, and grief. This book is written and organized to address the needs of professors, criminologists, police, sociologists, prosecutors, psychologists, politicians, and journalists. I read this one, and it was really interesting, and it lit up my brain in all kinds of different ways. There will be several different episodes based just on things brought up in that book. So, again, it's like 
politics of murder investigations. So you start thinking about not only do you have someone going around killing people, you have to deal with politics within police departments. And, you know, like maybe sometimes it happens in little cities, little towns that don't have any kind of resources. And then all of a sudden they have to throw together this task force and use all these resources that they don't have to try to figure this out. So you run into, you you discover all kinds of things that it's not just, you know, cut and dried. There are a lot of different angles to look at. So you think of the media, you think of the cops, you think of, of how the victims' families and the whole, the way that the town has to react and the way people are trying to deal with it. There's all kinds of different things to consider in these serial killers other than just the serial killers themselves. So I'm very practical. And if someone is telling me, you need to know this, my first thought is, okay, practical application. Like with guitar, it's great that there's one, three, four, and five. Okay, that's great. How the hell do I apply that? Like, it's great to have that knowledge, but it doesn't help me unless you say, okay, if you play Mary Had a Little Lamb, it is three, five, two. I don't know. I just... I'm saying numbers now, but that's exactly it, is if you give me a practical thing, then I understand better how that works. So this book is really good in that it doesn't just say the media can cause problems with police and vice versa. They used the Greed River murders and investigations to apply that to show you, okay, in this example, you can see how the media fucked up and they got in the way of the cops or how the cops didn't share this with the media. So the media was pissed. So it's nice to see very practical examples. I was given the book Fatal Violence, Case Studies and Analysis of Emerging Forms by Ronald M. Holmes and Stephen T. Holmes. And that seems like a big, vague thing of emerging forms, but it's actually pretty damn cool. It goes from, it talks about suicide, street gangs, motorcycle gangs, serial murder, vampires and cannibals, mass murders, parents who kill, violence in the workplace, rape, school shootings, hate groups youth violence. It goes through all this and then it has um, examples and it is very exciting. So if you are into the more, if you're into more than just the details of what the serial killer did and you want to know, well, why would the serial killer, killer do that? There are different versions of serial killers. Like there are visionary serial killers, mission serial killers, hedonistic, power control. So there's different forms of serial killers, organized versus disorganized. If you're interested in those details, this is a, a really good resource. One of my favorite places to purchase books from is thriftbooks.com. It is like my best friend. I've found all, uh, most of my books I've gotten from there. And I've happened upon things that I did not know to look for or I did not know existed. Like Serial Killers, Contemporary Issues Companion. Which again, this seems like this is a textbook from somewhere. And uh, basically it's a compilation of essays by different people. And that goes into like the nature of serial killing female serial killers, why do people kill, the struggle of surviving victims and families, and then public reactions. So again, that kind of goes through different topics and delves more into demographics and details other than just being like the lifeline or the timeline of a serial killer. Another exciting and interesting and disturbing category in serial killer books are letters and interviews. This can challenge just about anybody. It's to hear or to see serial killers say things frankly and unabashedly. And even if they say it with any kind of remorse, it's 
horrifying. And part of why I had so much trouble with David Parker Ray is because the shit that he said was really fucked up and it really fucked with me. And everybody has their own triggers and their own level of being able to handle the information that they're given. So I think, especially dealing with the serial killer stuff that I've read, I've, I've gotten a pretty thick skin. But being a human, I have my soft spots, my, my trigger spots. And David Parker Ray was a big problem for me. So it was hard to read and I had to actually put it down sometimes and go do something else and think about something else and because it was taking me to a really dark place. It can be a lot to read what these serial killers say, but it can also be very illuminating. And what helps me is because I have this podcast, I can look at the letters or interviews and I, I start thinking, okay, so when they said this, that's interesting because I know in this other source they said this or, you know, well, that's interesting. They lied about that here, but then they tell the truth here or, you know. So a good example of this is in one of my recent episodes, episode 19. I compare letters from David Gore in the book Serial Killer Letters by Jennifer Furio and in the book Serial Killer Whisperer by Pete Early. So if I, I went into that knowing, okay, so I'm going to compare what Gore said to Jennifer as compared to what he said in Serial Killer Whisperer. And so that could help me kind of pull myself back so I wouldn't get as emotional over the details that he would share. I would be more focused on the difference in the details and not so much as cutting people up and tearing out their bells. So that makes it a little bit easier for me. And again, I'm human. There are moments when it's a lot and I have to stop. So... If you are not into that, that is completely fine. You don't have to read any of these. But if you are in intrigued by what serial killers actually say, there is Serial Killer Letters by Jennifer Furio. And if you did not hear that episode, you should listen to it because it is it is fascinating how he what he says in, to her. And she, basically, she was just curious about why serial killers do what they do. So she wrote letters to, I think, like 50 different serial killers and was just like, look, I'm not going to judge you. I just want to know, why did you do it? Do you feel bad about it? Do you think that you're a, you're a victim and that you lashed out because you had a bad upbringing and, you know, that kind of thing. And the format is she would have a short biography about them and then their actual letters. And I'm sure it's not like every letter they wrote her. They're you know, and that's another thing to keep in mind as you're seeing bits and pieces. But you get to see in their words. And then she has a picture at the end of the chapter that shows their actual writing. So you can see how it looks when they wrote it. For example, she spoke with Harvey Kerrigan, Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker, Henry Lee Lucas and Douglas Clark. Of course, in addition to David Gore. As I mentioned, there's also The Serial Killer Whisperer by Pete Early. He is telling the story about a guy named Tony Siaglia who wrote to serial killers after he he was like 15. He got into an accident where he had brain damage and he started having anger control issues. And he had to be heavily medicated and he was having a lot of problems with depression and finding something to live for, basically. So he got in his head to start writing to serial killers. And he started to think of them as his buddies. And it's, it's very interesting. It's not quite as cut and dried as, okay, here's his discussions with Shawcross, here's his discussions with Hanson. It's kind of all like, they're kind of grouped together, but it, it's interwoven with the story of Tony, how Tony's developing. And, you know, so you get a lot about Tony's life and then they'll mention, they'll show an excerpt of a letter. But it is very intriguing. It's a, it's really interesting. And uh, some of the serial killers that he spoke to were Joe Metheny, Robert Hanson, David Gore, and Arthur Shawcross. One of the books that I referenced before with the David Parker Ray is a book called I, Monster by Tom 
Philbin. It's serial killers in their own chilling words. The format is there's a brief background, letters or interviews, and then, and quotes. So he covers Berkowitz, Bundy, Dahmer, Fish, Gacy, Holmes, Kemper, Curtin, Lucas, Nilsson, Raider, Ridgeways, Shawcross, and Warnos. So he has some, a lot of the heavy hitters in there that he um, shows their own quotes and their own words about different aspects of things that they did. I mentioned Christopher Barry D at the beginning of the episode with his uh, Emissaries of Satan, and I own two other books of his, at least. There is one, Talking with Serial Killers and Dead Men Talking. In, this, in Talking with Serial Killers, he interviewed them, but the format is that he's telling the story of what they did and go take you th- through the progression of, you know, their childhood or whatever, and then the things that they did and how they ended up. And then he interjects some of their quotes in there. I wasn't sure what to expect after the whole Emissaries of Satan, but it's actually pretty calm and really not that sensational at all. Sensational at all. Some of the people that he covers are Harvey Kerrigan, Arthur Shawcross, Clark and Bundy, and Butch DeFeo Jr. And Dead Men Talking... It's more like he's talking about the process. So he'll say, you know, I went and I talked to Keith Jesperson and he said this and and this is how I felt about it. And this is what we did. And so it's more it's not so much as a story of their what happened with them. It's more like I went and talked to them and this is what they said. So it's a little more like it's an interaction. Um, he also covers Michael Bruce Ross is another of the more common serial killers on top of them. Um, some other maybe lesser known ones. Now we're going to get into the profiling section. And this has blown up over the past couple years, mostly because of Mr. John Douglas. He has written quite a few books along with Mark Olshaker. Mark that Olshaker. John Douglas was the model for Jack Crawford in Science of the Lamps. So that character was based upon him. He is most known for the book Mindhunter, which goes over his career in the FBI. For example, like he pursued Robert Hansen, was involved with the Atlanta child murder cases, the Green River Killer. And he was also elemental in the beginning of the profiling program at the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. So Mindhunter, as you probably know, is a TV show on Netflix. And it has two seasons, I believe, that I just saw. It was not coming back for more seasons, which is kind of sad because it's a pretty good show. And they do a really good job at getting actors that looked like the serial killers. It's uh, like Edmund Kemper. Yeah, it's um, it's good stuff. So Holden Ford in the TV show is based on John Douglas. And it it's interesting because I read Mindhunter before I started watching the series. And I can see where there are some details that are close but not quite the same. But they work it where it's in the same vein. So it doesn't really change things and make it like annoying. You can see why they made the decisions. He's also written books like Anatomy of Motive, The Cases at Haunt Us, and Journey into Darkness. So he's got all kinds of stories, as you can imagine, from working for the FBI and interviewing serial killers. So his books tend to be uh, very interesting. Another famous profiler is Robert K. Ressler, R-E-S-S-L-E-R. And he writes books with Tom Schachtman. One of the books is Whoever Fights Monsters, My 20 Years Tracking Serial Killers for the FBI. Face-to-face with some of America's most terrifying killers, FBI veteran and ex-Army CID colonel Robert Ressler learned from them how to identify the unknown monsters who walk among us and put them behind bars. Now the man who coined the phrase serial killer and advised Thomas Harris on the Silence of the Lambs shows how he is able to track down of some of today's most brutal murders. So basically, he's the one who coined the term serial killer, arguably. Along with John Douglas, they were 
uh, essential to setting up this thing called VICAP, Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, which is a centralized computer system. It's a database where the different police departments can put in information and then everyone has access to it. So if there is a pattern that emerges, it's easier to pinpoint if there is a serial killer acting across different states or cities. Whereas before, like Ted Bundy would take advantage where he'd kill in one state and then go across state lines and kill in another and the cops would never really talk to each other. So they w- it took them a lot longer to realize, oh, well, this murder's a lot like the one that happened, you know, a couple states down or whatever. So Vicap was very elemental in, in helping trace serial killers better. He is actually portrayed in Mindhunter as a special agent Bill Tench. He's based on Robert Ressler. So there you go. Another name that I saw a lot, that I have seen a lot in my serial killer books is Colin Wilson. Specifically, he did write a book called Manhunters, not to be confused with Mindhunter. It's Manhunters, Criminal Profilers and Their Search for the World's Most Wanted Serial Killers. He very specifically talks about the FBI Behavioral Science Unit, and he spoke to Ressler. So that's actually, that's a book about those guys that I just mentioned. So that's pretty damn cool. Another famous FBI profiler is Roy Hazelwood. He's written books like Dark Dreams and The Evil That Men Do. He spent 22 years in the FBI, 16 years in the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. He was involved with searching, researching the Ken and Barbie killings, which is Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, and the Atlanta Child murders. He writes with... Stephen G. Michaud. So a lot of these times the FBI dudes aren't writers. So as you can see, they team up with someone who does have writing experience. So you won't just see, you know, Roy Hazelwood or John Douglas. You'll see Roy Hazelwood with Stephen Michaud or John Douglas with Mark Olshaker or whatever. Robert Keppel is another one. He worked with Bundy to find the Green River Killer. He also worked with the Lonely Hearts Killer, searching for them, Dahmer and Gacy. And he wrote a book called Signature Killers. I also have books from profilers like Roger L. DePew, Helen Morrison, and Pat Brown. Along a similar vein are forensics books. A name that pops up all the time when I'm researching is Catherine Ramsland, PhD. She's a professor of forensic psychology. Two books of hers that I have are The Human Predator, a historical chronicle of serial murder and forensic investigation, and The Devil's Dozen, how cutting-edge forensics took down 12 notorious serial killers. And she covers Holmes, Fish, Ticatillo, Unterweger, Raider, and Picton. So very specifically, that has to do with serial killers and forensics. There's also a book called The Killer of Little Shepherds, A True Crime Story and the Birth of Forensic Science by Douglas Starr. And this is a case where it focuses on Joseph Botcher, who was a serial killer at the end of 19th century France. So this is kind of interesting because it takes, again, it takes forensics, but it gives you a very specific case of Joseph Botcher and shows how that applied to that. Um, I also have found... DNA and the Hunt for Britain's Most Evil Serial Killers by Ron McKenna. So that is another subgroup, and serial killers are forensics. Now, the very first type that I really started to look into were encyclopedias. As you can imagine, there are quite a few. Some of them are imaginatively named Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Brian Lane and Wilford Gregg, Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Michael Newton, World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Susan Hall. That's actually a newer one. She had one volume. She just came out with a second one. She has two more coming. So those, it is way more in depth than I've seen with other ones. And the fact that she's making four volumes says a lot. 
the good thing about this is some of these encyclopedias tend to be older, so we don't have some of the more modern ones. So since she's coming out with it now, she's able to get in some of the newer ones like, uh, what is it, Samuel Little, that are more modern. So she's able to put them in there. So that is exciting. There is the Big Book of Serial Killers, which is, there are two volumes by Jack Rosewood. I have found some little details that are sometimes incorrect, like name spellings or like a date that maybe they put the wrong number. Nothing huge. And they still have good information in them. So I'm not going to give Jack too, too hard of a time on it. There is the A to Z Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Harold Schechter. And he's a big name that you'll see all the time with this stuff. So the cool thing about the A to Z of Encyclopedia of Serial Killers is most of these encyclopedias, as you can imagine, it just goes alphabetically by their name. Well, this one isn't just by name, it has topics. So it'll have topics like serial killers that found people through ads, or co-ed serial killers, or if they use the internet to find people, and head injuries. And So there's a bunch of different categories, so it's not just the serial killer, it actually has them in groups, which is awesome. And it's very exciting, especially since my podcast is comparing things. This is a nice reference because I can just look and see, okay, well, these are all, here's a list of serial killers that had orchards. I don't know, I just opened a page or, you know, had nursery rhymes about them. So it is a great reference there. He also has one called The Serial Killer Files. And again, this isn't, this isn't just uh, alphabetically by serial killer. It actually goes into time periods so it'll have like 17th century or international serial killers. It has a list of their nicknames. It has if they were killer cops or civil servants or families that killed together. So this is, again, a great reference if you want to look into groupings of people. Some other books that are similar encyclopedias where they list a bunch of different serial killers and have blurbs about them but aren't necessarily exhaustive. So a lot of the encyclopedias will have like a whole bunch of them listed. Whereas in something like Human Monsters, which is five volumes by Robert Keller, it has, I don't know, 15 or 20 serial killers listed. And then there's a little bit more information than normal. So that's why it's good that he had five volumes because he's able to put a little more information about each one, even though he doesn't have like 501 volume. He's able to get in depth with a smaller group of people and then he has five volumes to help cover the information. There's also the Killer Book of Serial Killers, which I referenced earlier that that sounds like one that might be sensationalist, but it's actually a, a pretty solid reference. It's by Tom and Michael Philbin. Tom Philbin actually wrote the book I mentioned earlier, I Monster, where it has uh, serial killers' words, their own words, written down in a book form. But that's another one where they can go more in depth because they don't cover as many serial killers, so they're able to put a little more information than just a small blurb. That's the problem with encyclopedias is it's great if you want a, a quick view of what they did and if you just need to know real fast or if you want to compare specific details, those are nice because, and I have, I don't I don't even know how many encyclopedias, I just named some that I have. I have so many. <laughs> so I've got quite a few. So it's interesting to see what goes across the board and what details one has that another doesn't have. But it's nice when you have the more in-depth ones so you can obviously get a lot more information. They're also similar to encyclopedias are compilations. So for example, Chambers of Horror by John Marlowe just goes very specifically into killers that had chambers or places that they use to kill people. For example, Brutus, Christie, Dahmer, Dutroux, Gacy, Harmon, Heidnick, Holmes, they're all covered in the book. So he has probably, again, like 
This one has probably about 20 people listed and he's able to have a chapter about each person as opposed to just a blurb about a ton of different people. So it's nice to have a, that topic that you can expand upon. Another version is Serial Killers and Psychopaths by Charlotte Grieg and John Marlowe. And again, John Marlowe, he just wrote Chambers of Horror. So this is one that he co-wrote with Charlotte Grieg. This book goes by subject like historical killers, lust killers, spree or mass killers, and then you have them listed out that way. So you'll have a few more listed, but it's interesting because they do it in groups. So you can have these five people were historical killers and this is what they did. And they can go into depth with them a little bit. Another one is Tracking a Serial Killer, Timeline of the World's Most Notorious Murderers by Chris McNabb. It's another one that goes by categories like lust, predator, female, couples. I like this book. It's actually the second book I got. Serial Killers and Psychopaths were the first book I got when I started researching. So they're kind of a, have a sentimentality for me. But what's awesome about Tracking a Serial Killer book is that they have a chart that shows the victims... So they have a, a chart that is the timeline of a murder, and it goes through the victims. So it has the date, the victim, the age, and the details. This is specifically interesting if you're looking for a pattern. You can see, well, they killed in 1955, and then they didn't kill again until, like, 1959. And then you can look at the age range, like, well, they only killed people under 10, or they killed, just looking at this one page, this dude killed someone who was 61, and he also killed someone who was 12. So he was all over the place. So it's kind of interesting to be able to look at that and just kind of go through and compare it based on that information right there. And, of course, you know that I have to mention, because I love them, the last book on the left, written by the last podcast on the left, people, who are, of course... Ben Kissel, Marcus Parks, and Henry Zabrowski. It is my favorite podcast, the last podcast on the left. You should check it out. The book is great. I love that it's set up to look like Tales from the Crypt, the comic. So they have little drawings of Ben, Henry, and Marcus. And then, so Marcus is the main voice. He's the main writer. And then they have Henry and Ben, their little uh, avatars, I guess where they interject. So it'll have like a paragraph about something like about Ted Bundy. And then Henry's avatar will pop in and, and say something funny. And then there'll be another Marcus statement. And then Ben will pop in with something funny. So it's nice because it's still, it has that same feel of listening to the podcast where you have them with their interjections and it helps add some levity or um, insight. And then it also has fun little cartoons. So it is really well done and I love it. They mostly tend to cover what they call the big hitters. So it's like Ted Bundy, Richard Chase, Ed Gein, Gacy, Ramirez, Berkowitz, BTK, Chikatilo, Dahmer. So it's some of the more common ones. We're getting towards the end now. <laughs> Next up are ones that are just called Serial Killers. <laughs> there are so many books that are just called Serial Killers. So there's they do tend to have some kind of um, subtitle as well. So like Serial Killers, The Growing Menace. By Joel Norris. That one has, so what is the nature of serial killings? Here is the statements of serial killers and it, what about the pattern of serial killers? So it kind of delves into that as opposed to just saying, you know, here's a list of serial killers and what they did or a blurb about them. There is Serial Killers, They Live to Kill by Rodney Castleden. And that's one that goes by categories such as, you know, like lust and female and that kind of thing. Serial Killers, The Method and Madness of Monsters by Peter Vronsky. That's one that goes more in depth on the psychology of serial killers and about serial killers, and it doesn't go like an encyclopedia where you just list specific serial killers and blah, blah, blah. Serial Killers, The Stories of History's Most Evil Murderers by Brian Ines, I-N-N-E-S. 
And that's one where he actually goes by their names. So that's just an example of one group of serial killer books. They're just called serial killers. And they can talk about all different kinds of things. There's also psychology. So you have books like Guilty by Reason of Insanity, A Psychiatrist Explores the Minds of Killers by Dorothy Otnow Lewis, MD, or Criminal Shadows, Unlocking the Minds of Serial Killers and Sexual Predators and Cracking Cases by David Cantor, PhD. He's a psychologist, but he also goes into profiling as well in that book. There is Serial Killers, <laughs> The Insatiable Passion by David Lester, PhD. That one, it's, um, it's drier and it has examples more like a textbook format. It's, it's interesting, but it is definitely way more dry and detail-oriented. But if that's what you're looking for, that's great. Some other examples of different types of serial killer books... You have things like, I happened upon The Chronicle of Crime, The Infamous Felons of Modern History and Their Hideous Crimes by Martin Fido. This is interesting because it's news clippings throughout time. And so they have news articles about like Burke and Hare, Albert Fish, Henley and Brady, Sutcliffe, Dahmer, Bundy. And there are news articles from the time period that it was happening. So it's interesting to see the media's take on what was going on. It's not just about serial killers. That's another thing is that I've learned that not to just focus on, does that say serial killer? Is to look about uh, just in true crime in general. Like if they mention killers, they usually mention at least a few serial killers. So in the Chronicles of Crime, it's not just about serial killers, but they do have some peppered in there. So it's, it's interesting regardless. I found Murders of the Black Museum by Gordon Honeycomb, and I'll read the synopsis real fast. From Jack the Ripper onwards, a riveting analysis of 50 murders committed between 1870 and 1970, illustrated with a wealth of photographs based on research in Scotland Yard's famous Black Museum by best-selling author Gordon Honeycomb. That was one sentence, by the way. <laughs> I feel like they could have broken that up into a couple different sentences, but, you know, it's okay, because it's interesting material. So they go over like Dr. Thomas Cream, Cummins, Haig, and Christie. And that's, that's an interesting word. That's very specifically from this time period in England. And again, they cover other killers. But within that book, then, you know, you do have some a wealth of information about some serial killers as well. Uh, my last example of a different type of serial killer book, or book in general, that is a useful reference, is The Mammoth Book of Famous Trials by Roger Wilkes. So again, it's not all serial killers, but it does talk about trials of Brady and Hindley, Reginald Christie, and Rosemary West. And that's that's another example where specifically, since I'm doing episodes based on categories, I have a notebook I've mentioned before where I just wrote categories in as I was researching serial killers. So if I started noticing patterns, I would put it in my notebook. So I would have like family serial killers, peeping toms, child serial killers, that kind of thing. And one of them was I would like to cover trials. So to see a book called Mammoth Book of Famous Trials, that's great because that'll help. That'll be a great reference when I do that. It's all right there. So that's uh, that's something I like to keep an eye out for. Makes my job easier. The last thing that I'm going to cover are common names that I've started seeing pop up as I've been purchasing books and doing research. I mentioned him before. Harold Schechter is a biggin. So he's done all kinds of shit. I mentioned he did the Serial Killer Files, the A to Z Encyclopedia Serial Killers. He wrote the book Fatal. Jane Toppin, Bestial, Earl Leonard Nelson, and I do cover Earl Leonard Nelson in, I believe, the very first episode of Murder Lab. He wrote Deviant about Ed Gein, Deranged about Albert Fish, Depraved about H.H. H. Holmes, Fiend about Jesse Pomeroy. He has also written things 
like the whole death catalog, a lively guide to the bitter end. So it has details about like death across cultural cultures and funeral facts. It's really cute and I really like it. It's a fun little different kind of thing. Uh, he also wrote Ripped from the Headlines, The Shocking True Stories Behind the Movies, Most Memorable Crimes. So I recently, for October, I had mentioned that I did every day through most of October, I suggested movies based on serial killers. So this book is actually a great reference Great reference for that. And there's stuff in there that I didn't mention. So I'm going to continue here and there to keep, re to keep referring to movies to you and letting you know about movies based on serial killers. So this book will be great reference for that. Some of them like that I covered that are in this book are Arsenic and Old Lace, Eaten Alive, M, I've mentioned before, Psycho, of course. So that's exciting. Again, that's another thing where it's a great reference. And Hale Schechter's uh, pretty fucking awesome. I'm sure you also are familiar with Anne Roll. I've mentioned her a couple of times. She's also written The Lust Killer about Jerry Brudos, The I-5 Killer, The One-Ad Killer, Green River Running Red. So she has books very specifically about serial killers. And she is also has just true crime in general, like uh, Too Late to Say Goodbye. And also there's A Rose for Her Grave and other true cases. So she has some that are more like little, I don't know, anthologies where she talks about different types of true crime. I mentioned Colin Wilson. He has, he's written a bunch of stuff. So he has kind of a, a diverse bibliography. I don't know. He has a, he's written a bunch of different shit. So he has like written in blood, a history of forensic detection. He also wrote The Corpse Garden about the Wests, which I use as a reference and I cover in one of my episodes. Let me find it. In episode two, I use that book as a reference. And he's also written... The Serial Killers, A Study in the Psychology of Violence. So he's done a bunch of different things. So he's covered a bunch of different types of territory. There's also M. William Phelps. He wrote The Devil's Rooming House about Amy Archer Gillian, as referenced earlier. He also has Dangerous Ground, My Friendship with a Serial Killer. There's also Michael Newton, who wrote books such as Hunting Humans, The Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, as well as The Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. So he's into those encyclopedias, and I have both of them. And of course, he's written more than that, but there's a Jack Olson, who's written The Misbegotten Son about Arthur Shawcross, and The Man with the Candy, The Story of the Houston Mass Murderers, which is about Dean Coral. It's a really good book. So he's one to keep an eye out for if you're interested in true crime reading. There's Nigel Cawthorn, who wrote Bodies in the Back Garden about serial killers that buried people in their yard. So that's another cool thing where he takes a subject and then talks about the serial killers that did that. So so there's a common theme of serial killers that would bury people in their yard, and he's talking about those different serial killers. You know, that's going to be an episode. He also wrote a book called Serial Killers and Mass Murderers. You should keep an eye out for Ryan Green. He's written a bunch of stuff, like Buried Beneath the Boarding House about Dorothea Puente, Dean Coral, The True Story of the Used Mass Murderers, Maneater, about Catherine Knight, and that's not to be confused with Harold Schechter's book, Maneater, which is about Alfred Packer. <laughs> I actually am on uh, Ryan Green's mailing list, and a lot of times when he comes out with a book, he'll offer it for, like, free or for, like, $3.99, and you can download, the, download it on your Kindle or whatever you have. And so I have several of his books on my Kindle, and it's a good deal. The last one that I'll mention is Jack Rosewood. I have several of his books, including The Big Book of Serial Killers, 
He's also wrote, written the book Child Killer about the Atlanta child murders and then a Shoe Fetish Slayer by Jerry Brudos. That was one of the first books that I read upon doing this podcast and I enjoyed that one a lot. So I appreciate you sticking around through this and uh, I hope you've uh, learned some stuff. I think it's interesting how many different types of serial killer books there are. I never really thought about it. So um, hopefully you've learned some stuff and maybe you've gotten some new authors to read or found out about some different categories that you can check out for more information. I will tell you the only book that I have purchased that I wish that I would not have spent the money on and it was not much money and I talk about it in it might be my first episode. Yes, it was my very first episode. And I complain about it in that episode as well. It's called Cannibal, the True Stor Story of Carl Denke by Nathan Hayes. <laughs> I got it early on. And this is one of the books that taught me you really need to pay attention to what you're buying. So it's easy to get in the habit of just being like, oh, that book looks interesting and it's not very expensive. So I'll get it because, you know, since it's not so expensive, even if it's shit, you know, whatever. But the problem is normally you get a book that's like at least 100 pages usually more and this book at first the pages aren't numbered but it's maybe 20 pages and it's all like double spaced I got it because I can't really I couldn't find much information on Carl Denke so I was excited I found a book but basically it's all shit that I could have that I basically googled anyway so it was stuff that I found for free, but in a book form, and it's written by someone who I think they are 12 and are learning English. I don't know. It's not that, it's not that great. The only thing that makes, that made it worthwhile was, was the statement that was a quote on official investigative report where they said, particularly striking was a very clean anus. So they found a body in body parts in Carl Denke's place, and they made a note that the anus was very clean on one of these bodies. So I will say that it was worth the money just to get that laugh. But that is the only book that I've gotten so far that I've been like, I shouldn't have spent that money. But it did teach me a lesson that now I pay attention to how long the book is and such. So it's, you know, as long as you learn something, it's worth it, right? Again, I will post all of these books on my website, which is murderlabmedia.com. If you have any authors you would like me to look at and you recommend, let me know. Feel free to comment on my Facebook page, Murder Lab, or my Instagram. Or you can go to murderlabmedia.com and send me an email. Thank you for hanging out, lab rats, and make sure to keep doing things. I don't know. I got nothing. Make sure to like, subscribe, and yada, yada, yada to my Facebook and Instagram, murderlabmedia.com for all of your wants and needs, Murder Lab related. We are available on Google Play and iTunes. If you need the RSS feed for your favorite podcast app, you can find it at murderlabmedia.com. Thank you for entering the lab. That old shaker.